everybody and welcome. This is Emmanuel and you are listening to the UX Research Club, the podcast that is dedicated to the rising field of user research. Who is this show for? It is for everyone, actually. Everyone interested in UX, product development, and digital transformation. Whether you are working in a large organization or a startup, this podcast is for you. Before starting the episode today, I wanted to thank everyone for listening and downloading all the episodes. And I'm amazed to see the reach of this podcast. Thank you, all of you in South America, in the US, Canada, Europe, Australia, Asia, and Africa. Thank you also for all your messages and support and all the questions that you have sent me. I'm glad that you are finding this podcast useful and I will always try to reply to everyone. I wanted to let you know that I will make a combo of all the frequent asked questions and I will create an episode of it, uh, which I will probably release at the end of the first season. I wanted to say a special thank you to Jane, Louisa, Rochelle, Ella, Anita, Manuel, Jérôme and Patrick the fellow researchers that I met last week at the UX Research Social in London. For people who are living in London or surrounding, we are resuming the UX Research Social uh, probably every two months. So please let us know if you want to join us. It's just a casual drink with uh, fellow researchers. The next one will be on January the 18th. Today's episode, I will cover an important topic which is at the heart of all our research. When I say important, I will emphasize the fact that participants are not only at the heart of our investigation, they are essential to collect our data. How do you define a participant? A participant is a person who takes part in or becomes involved in a particular activity. While we are conducting research, we can't do anything without participants. Without participants, there is no research. Whether you are using quantitative or qualitative research method, you still require to access participants and more specifically, real end user of your product and services. But before starting, I would like to talk about the first principle that I never say enough to the product designers, product managers and stakeholders. You are not the users and you could not be the participant in your research. The reason are that you know too much about your product you are not a typical user, you will not be objective, and the result of internal testing are generally a waste of time. On some occasions, you can have informal conversation or pilot testing with internal people, but this should absolutely not provide insight that will influence the development of your product. In this episode today, I will be covering the following. How to identify the relevant participants? How many participants do you need to conduct your research? How will you recruit them and where? What are the challenges that generally researchers experience in participant recruitment? We will also cover the question of giving incentive and its implications. And finally, the last, but far from being the least, the most important part in my eyes is the ethical aspect, which include data protection, GDPR, consent form, non-disclosure agreement, as well as touching on the storage and access to the data. There is a lot to cover. This is why the topic today will be over two episodes, so part one this week and part two next week. The first important point that I would like to cover is how we identify the relevant participant and decide how many do we need. Identifying the relevant participant requires a bit of research. 
You need to get the information from marketing, sales, product team, business analysts, or even finance. This will help you to understand who use your product and who would be the potential users, which one are the most valuable customers, and where are they located, etc., etc. The second point would be how many do you need, which is really a big question. This really depends on the research method that you are going to use, whether you are using a quantitative or qualitative research method. As mentioned in the previous episode on which method to use when and why, the amount of participants varies depending on the research method. If you are using a qualitative research method, you will require a small sample, while when you are using a quantitative research method, you will require a large sample. If you are doing a quantitative research, for example, a survey, a question which is coming very often is how many respondents do you need for your survey? This is a very good question, by the way. Very often, there is a misunderstanding of how many respondents do you need to get reliable and valid survey data. Some people tend to say that you need at least 1,000 respondents. Yes and no. It really depends on the overall audience and potential audience you may have. But if you have a potential of 1,000 end users, it will be very hard for you to reach out 1,000 respondents. Same if you have only 100 clients. Do you think you will be able to get 1,000 respondents? Not quite sure, huh? Before calculating how many respondents do you need for your survey, you need to check out how many clients or potential end users do you have? Is your survey aiming to capture general information or is more related to a specific feature or type of audiences? Then what margin of error would you be comfortable with? What do I mean by margin of errors? I know the people who don't like statistics and things like that are going to start switching off this podcast, but stay on. I'm going to try to be very clear and very concise on it. The margin of errors is a degree of error that you may obtain. For example, if you have 10% of margin of errors, this means that you have 90% of confidence in your result. The margin of errors could be between 1% and 10%. Deciding on the margin of error could be discussed with you, your team, other researcher, product team, design team, stakeholders. You need to reach an agreement. Here is a few examples that may help you to make a quick decision. So, for example, if you have a population of 100 end users and you want a degree of confidence of 95% and you want a margin of error of 3, the sample size that you will need will be 90. It's quite a lot. Huh? 90 for 100 end users is quite a lot, but that's an example. A population of end user of 1,000, and if you want a degree of confidence of 95 and a margin of error of 5, a sample will be 278 for your survey. If you have a population of 10,000 people and uh, you want a degree of confidence again of 95 and with a margin of error of 5, your sample size for your survey should be 370. And the last one, a population of end user of 100,000, and you want the 95% degree uh, of confidence with a march uh, of errors of three, your sample size should be 1,050. But if you want a smaller margin of error, you must have a larger sample size given the same population. For example, if you have 70,000 end users which are using your platform, your product, and you want to run a survey to evaluate the onboarding experience, you will need more than 1,000 respondents to provide reliable results. If you have only 300 respondents, 
And on top of that, within those 300 respondents, you have different type of user profiles, for example, different type of users. You will end up with less than 30 respondents per categories, which is absolutely not enough to provide reliable results. If you are doing a survey that is validating results from qualitative research, you could actually use a smaller sample as the research, the primary research was qualitative, and then you use the survey to do validation, then you can have a sample of around 100, 150 end users to validate your findings. Once you have an idea on how many respondents you would like to complete your survey, you need to understand that you will have to send your survey to a much larger samples as the response rate of a survey is not great in general. The response rate and the specificity of your audience may add some more challenges. For example, when you are doing a B2C, business to client, it is easier to get the respondent than if you are doing a B2B, a research which is a business to business, is it going to be much more challenging. Please make sure that you document the profile of what you are looking for and start identifying where you can get hold of some list of potential respondents. Make sure when you get hold of some list, it is cleansed by your marketing team. All the people who opt out of any research or marketing correspondence should be removed from your list uh, that you are going to use to send your survey. People who are not willing to be contacted should not receive any survey. You will need also to keep record of the survey that you have been sent to whom and when so you don't bombard your clients with the same survey again and again. Okay. You really need to refresh your list and make sure that you are following the GDPR regulation. You can't get hold of some list anymore like this and just send a survey away. But people need to register and give their consent and willingness to be contacted. Another solution to access respondents is to use a panel. You've got two different types of panels, the internal one and the external one. An internal panel is a panel that you are building yourself with your team and marketing team. And you can really build a good respondent. And generally, they are quite fast to reply to your survey. The problem with an internal panel is start to be a bit repetitive and it's the same user. So you need to refresh the panel. You need to bring new participants, new respondents into your panel on a regular basis. The external panel, uh, it's quite good because you can use a panel provider that will be distributing your survey to a larger sample. And that is quite good because you can really get good respondent and a good variety of uh, respondent. But this have also uh, a cost implication. So to summarize, it is important to identify your audience, decide how many respondents do you need, and then identify where you can get access to them. Are you going to use an email list, panel, social media, etc.? Moving now to accessing participants to conduct a qualitative research. This is where it becomes a bit more complicated. And I can tell you, researcher needs to be extremely creative to access the relevant end users. For a discovery, which is a qualitative approach which happens at the preconceived development phase, I will recommend between 15 to 30 participants. Next season, I will dedicate a series of several episodes on how to conduct a discovery research. But in the meantime, here is an example. When I was working on the apprenticeship digital service, we needed participants which were employers that would be using the new digital service. 
Just to give you a bit of background on the project, a new legislation was about to be put in place, including putting a new apprenticeship levy. It is not always good to pay more taxes, but in exchange for paying the levy, the employer's business owner got more empowerment on training selection, monitoring the apprentice progress, and of course, in terms of managing the financial aspect. As well as introducing the new legislation, the government was also going through their digital transformation. The overall apprenticeship process was going to be move online. Therefore, a discovery was necessary. Identifying the relevant participant was key to the future of the digital apprenticeship service. We couldn't just pick two or three organizations like this. We had to identify them carefully. Where did we start in terms of the selection of the participant? We had to look first at the list of all the organizations that were currently using the apprenticeship. We look first at the list of all the organizations that were currently employing apprentices. We look at the company size and the sector of activities. Based on those, we could identify large, medium size, and small companies. We also look at the sector of activities. As you could see, we had three main categories, large, medium, and small. For each size company, I suggested between five to six companies, meaning participants. Now that we had the three main categories, large, medium, and small, we needed to get a much more uh, diverse uh, sample. So we looked at the different sector of activities in which we had the most apprentices. So we came out with the following, manufacturing, construction, cybersecurity, telecom, hospitality, education, services, fashion, etc. So once we had all those categories, we start looking at getting some of those and match them to the three main categories. So we came out with, uh, we looked at people in engineering and uh, construction. We looked at hospitality, hotel, design agency, large addressable branches. And uh, for the small organization, we looked at tailors like Seville Row, small hair salon, plumbing and restaurant. As you can imagine, these cover a wide selection of end users. But it was very interesting and the sample was quite diverse. And when we start identifying similarity across the samples, it provided some very robust findings. Now, looking at the user testing, it's a bit different than the discovery. For user testing, the frequency and the cadence of your research will impact the number of participants that you will need. It really depends if you are working agile or not. If you are working agile and you are working um, in a two-week sprint and you do user testing every sprint, you can use between six to 10 participants as you are constantly evaluating uh, navigation, the design, the layout, the content of the feature, etc., etc. If you are doing four or five rounds of testing before an MVP, you will end up with 24 to 50 participants, which is quite good, actually. You know, if you can really do it like this, this is quite powerful. If you are a bit more waterfall or don't have the capacity to do uh, agile testing on a very regular basis, I will recommend to get a larger sample between 12 and 16. That will give you much stronger evidences. You will have to start looking at similarities and patterns and theme, which probably going to emerge after eight or nine participants. But of course, you know, you do what you can depending on the budget that you will have. 
It will also depend on the different type of user that you'll be using your product. I will recommend, and if you have a budget for only six or eight participants, just to concentrate on one single profile. At least you will be able to provide stronger results for one category. If you get too many user types, your sample will be too diverse and your patterns and phenomena in your data are not going to emerge. They are not going to bring any reliability. So once you have identified the profile of your participants that you need for your research, you can start creating a screener. What is a screener? A screener is a quick questionnaire that will help you to identify the relevant participant that meet your specific requirement. The screener will include an introduction of your project, which will help you to target the relevant participant. It will also mention if the research will be face-to-face, -face, remote, on the phone, or in the lab, you will need to make sure that the participants have not taken part to any other research in the last six months. This can be a bit more flexible for B2B. You need to check which devices they are using. If, for example, you are testing an app on an iPhone, they need to be iPhone users. Don't think it's a silly question. It happens very frequently to have participants who actually are not iPhone users, which actually turn up for the testing session. You need to exclude anyone which is working in market research, UX research, UX, or similar field. And then you will have a few other questions that will help you to identify your relevant end users. If you are interested to receive a sample screener, you can email me on info at uxresearchclub.com and uh, you will be able to get a link to access a couple of screeners. Preparing a screener is part of the researcher skill set. A tip when you are preparing a screener, start with a very strict idealistic screener. Try it out, and if you don't get enough participants, you can relax it a bit. If your screener is too loose, you will not get the relevant participant, and your data won't be good enough. It is better to have less participants, but good one. Where do you identify the relevant participant? Before starting a research project, you will have to plan your research. In the next few weeks, I will be doing an episode on how to plan your research project. In your research plan, you will need all the information about your participant, the type of participant you are looking for, the numbers, and where you will get access to them. Now that you have your screener, you have different options to find your participant. Using your contact internally, using social media, advertising, building your own panel, using an external agency. Recruiting participants is time-consuming. Outsourcing, if you can afford it, is a good solution. You can also have a research ops, which is going to help you to recruit your participant. But the research shop job is far more than recruiting participants. If you don't have those options, it will be the job of the researcher and the product team to help to get participants. Starting with... Uh, Contact internally. It's always very good to actually build a good relationship and network internally to get access to salespeople, customer support. It's very important as they are the frontline people with the end users. They can help you to put you in touch with some users. They can also help you to get a list of people. So if you got a list of people who are actually using the product, you can send a quick survey, quick questionnaire. It's not a survey, it's a questionnaire with a few questions, which is going to help you to screen them. And if they want to take part of the research, you can contact them and book them directly. 
Generally, I do that. Uh, we do uh, like six or seven questions, maybe 10 max, where we can put some screening question and then we ask the participant to put their email if they are interested. We get some very good response rate if we make um, the project very interesting. We always have to specify it is for user testing or UX research. It's very important to differentiate yourself from market research. You can also contact the sales and uh, build a relationship with customer support. They have a direct access to end user. They are key frontline people. So please build relationship with them. I think it's such a good way to access high quality participants that way. I know it may be time consuming, but it's also super nice to build relationship with people actually who actually spend time with our clients. They will introduce you to them. They can send an email, an introduction, and you get very high response rate. You know, that's quite good. You can also put a pop-up on your product or on a banner uh, with a call to action. The participant will be able to click on the button or the link to complete the screener. This is a very nice way to invite people to take part in your research, and this is not intrusive. You can also use social media. Don't forget to put a call to action so they can click directly on the link to complete the screener. I will recommend to post uh, your screener, the link and the information about your project on a specific group related to your research. I do find that it works very well on specialized groups. You can also use advertising for very specific end users. You can put it in a local paper or at the checkout of a bakery or local store. I find sometimes it works very well by putting an advert with a QR code in a bathroom of a restaurant or a department store or cinema or GP practice, etc. They can just see it and scan it to access the form. Funny place, but super effective. You can also build a panel, a pool of end users that you can contact. This can take time to build, but if you work on B2B, it is a very good way to access your end users. You can use a participant recruitment agency that will do the job for you, screen the participant, recruit them, and schedule the session. This is great, but it has a cost. Generally, it costs between 250 to 500 pounds per participant, including incentive. It will be almost the same in dollars, between $300 to $600 per participant. Accessing uh, the end user is time-consuming and required a lot of organization and rigorous process. It can become very messy very quickly if it's not done properly. Once participants are interested to take part of your research, you can start booking them. If you have an agency, they will do it for it. If you are lucky enough, you will have also a research job function that will do all the organization for you. And if you are tight with money, you will have to recruit them yourself, meaning send the screener by email, post the screener on LinkedIn or on Facebook, etc., etc., as well as booking the participant. To summarize, identifying the relevant participant is essential to capture good insight. Internal staff are not the user, and this needs to be clear from the start. How to recruit your participant will depend on the research methodology that you will use. A large sample for survey, smaller sample for qualitative research method, such as interview, contextual inquiry, discovery, user testing. So this is it for today. And next week, I will cover the second part, which will be covering some important ethical points, which include getting participant consent, data protection and privacy, the rights to withdraw at any time, 
the incentive payment, taxation, and policy related to incentive, and conducting research with vulnerable people, such as children, people with special needs and disability, etc. And also how to keep the researchers safe while conducting research with challenging participants. you enjoyed this uh, episode today and if you have any question or topic you would like me to cover do not hesitate to contact me on info at uxresearchclub.com you can also find a lot of information about user research by reading my book practical user research which cover how to integrate user research into the product development detail will be in the description in this podcast And finally if you want to support the UX research club please share it with your network or on social media or write a review or please put some stars if you like it. Uh, see you next week for a new episode and thank you for listening and goodbye.